let's go ahead and turn, if you will, to Mark 14, 34. And as we prepare to look at this idea of part two, I'm a soul man, we're going to have uh, one major focus today, and it's called Uncluttering the Soul. I made a reference last week towards a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, and it's fascinating. I had five copies in our little counseling room on the shelf. They're all gone. Uh, I really, really love that. It would be great if you took one of those copies. We usually, you know, we had to pay $10 a copy for that. If you would like to make a healthy donation of maybe a couple bucks towards the equipping ministry, that would be great so we can buy more copies. Um, But that's one of the things we also find value in doing, in providing for our church body good, healthy, equipping resources that speak to these things. So last week we talked a lot about um, how faith, is integrated in with the soul. So let's start there today as a reminder. Before we get there, our hero today out of contemporary uh, history is Horatio Spatford. And how many of you are familiar with the name Horatio Spatford? How many of you even know a Horatio? Right? This is old school. Now, Horatio was a real estate magnate. Back in mid-19th century, later 19th century, uh, was based in Chicago area. And what happened in Chicago at that time period that was tragic? The Great Chicago Fire. Now you can imagine, being a real estate magnate, what happened to Horatio Spatford and his family. Now, how many of us, we don't know how much he lost, but he lost a significant amount of his wealth. And it's not just about him losing his wealth, is it? It's about the tragedy that's happened. How many of us have been lamenting so many of the tragedies that have been going on in the world around us, right? There's just this cloud, there's this heaviness over our nation right now. Can you imagine having been in Chicago at that time period? all the lives that were lost, all the homes, all the businesses, how do you even restart? Would you not be calling out to that Lord God that provided peace that passes all understanding? And what would He be saying to you? Shortly after the fire, Spafford lost his first son uh, to, I forget I forget exactly, smallpox, age three. Now, you've suffered the tragedy of a city. You've probably declined massively in your wealth, and now you lose a child. What a hero. Now, he wrote a song that we're going to sing today. Are we singing that song today? We're singing that song today. I have a copy of this in my office. The Brevehort House was in Chicago and was part of his real estate holdings. He had stationery while he was traveling and he penned these words that we will sing later today. I've only begun to tell you his story. We'll finish today with the rest of 
the story. Hebrews. What is our tie into Hebrews when it comes to the soul? It has to be faith. It has to be faith. When we speak about the soul, we're speaking about the intangible. We're speaking about the part of us that probably is neglected the most, and yet it is the most significant part of who we are. It is where everything we believe, everything we hold to, everything in our will, our desire, and then extending out from that our body, all of our choices flow from the soul. And yet how many of us have made concerted effort to attend the soul I think the biggest challenge to that is that we have to have faith we have to have faith to truly believe that God is there God being in spirit speaks to that idea of the soul which is the intangible all of it's kind of connected there and that's where faith comes in and so we have this passage Hebrews eleven six. 6 it says without faith it is impossible to what to please God. How many of us even want to please God? We have a culture and a world and a society that could care less about pleasing God. And yet one of the challenges, and here's the connective tissue, my friends, I think one of the reasons that they don't want to please God is because they're totally unconnected to their soul. To dive deep and wrestle with your soul is to come face to face with what is the reality of God. What is the reality of God? And I think for both elements, whether it's the, the true understanding that the soul is the center of who I am and drives everything, and then who is God, both require faith. Both require faith. And, when, and here's, the, here's the write it down part. So if you have a bulletin today, you could take out the sheet and start writing this down. If my soul is in proper alignment, I make daily choices to please God and not myself. And that's where we're going to start scripturally today. Well, we started with Hebrews 11, but let's go to the Mark, 13, or <coughs> Mark 14, 34. And I, I choose this because I want, well, I choose it because it has the word soul in it. So I just did a word search and found the word soul, and it's a good verse. And no, that's not why. It happens to have the word soul. But I think there's a reality here with where we're going. I'm going to use a, a technique of helping you look at your soul in a medical sense. I want you to imagine you're the attending doctor in the ER at John Muir last Friday. And there's been a disaster throughout our whole city. And they're just flooding in and flooding in and flooding in. And you're the man, you're the woman, you're the person, the authority on the floor that's going to be assessing every single problem. How do you do that? This is the direction we're going to head in this morning in examining our own souls. We talked a little bit about the diagramming of the soul and, and the soul's significance and how the soul works last week. Today we start looking at the reality of where is your soul? And so we're going to do that kind of from a medical standpoint or use that as a mechanism this morning to jump in. Let's look real quickly at verse 34. I'm not sure if I have it. There we go. Mark 14, 34. 
My question to you is if you've been sitting here, because five minutes ago I gave you the reference, what's the context of where we are in this story of Jesus Christ? Our hero, our true hero. Where is he? How on earth am I supposed to know what you're saying? Gethsemane, thank you, John. I appreciate the respect. You know, when people mumble like that, they're like, oh, I don't want to stand out and sound like I'm the person with the answers. Be bold, my friends. And he said to them, who is them? The disciples. What did he say? Yeah, it's up there. My soul is very what? Sorrowful, even to what? Death. Remain here and watch. Now we're talking about God incarnate. Jesus says he has a what? Have you ever thought about that? You just learned something about the, the Godhead. Somehow God has imbued within us. Remember, he, he said we're created in his image. Somehow that's part of our connective tissue to God and how he created us. God himself has a soul. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how it is the Spirit of God that seeks those things that are happening within the Spirit of man, and only the Spirit can talk to the Spirit, and only the Spirit can know the Spirit. We're talking about those intangible things that require faith to really grasp and hold on to and journey with. Jesus Himself says His soul is static. His soul is what? His soul is cool. His soul is there. I'm, I'm trying to come up with the most non-emotional adjectives I can find. What does he say his soul is? Sorrowful. Brothers and sisters, it is where it's the soul. If we want to know where our soul exists, it's that part that feels sorrow, feels joy. It's that part of us that's us. It's what defines how we relate to all things, especially God. And even Jesus says his soul was sorrowful. It's fascinating, we live in a society that says we should not experience sorrow. It's the wrong thing. We are so maladjusted as a, as a nation, as a people, as a society, we keep trying to strip away the soul from its entire spectrum of what it's supposed to experience and feel. And so it's unhealthy. Jesus says his soul is sorrowful even to what? The point of what? To death. Can we safely assume Jesus was feeling it in this moment? Into the depths of his soul. So even our hero, Jesus, speaks to the fact he has a soul and that it is within his soul that there is the deepest sense of sorrow and that sorrow is so deep that he feels what? To the point of death. This is where we start today. Ephesians 5, 13 through 14. By the way, I'm going to be in Ephesians 5 as a cross-reference today and next week uh, as just a demonstration of how do we diagnose our soul. How do we diagnose our soul? 
And if you want to turn there or bookmark it, feel free. We looked briefly at this story from Gethsemane just as an evidence. The fact that Jesus himself has a soul and speaks to the sorrow of the soul. He is diagnosing his soul and he's being honest and real about what's happening deep within himself. Remember Psalm 42 last week, we talked about how the soul is that area where the deep calls to the deep. Another great psalm that I'm, I won't have time today to mention, but turn to Psalm 119. Write that down in your notes. Psalm 119, you want to see how to diagnose your soul, start looking at the parameters and the spectrum of all that goes on within the soul, and Psalm 119 will be a great uh, medical journal on that level for your spiritual health. So, in Ephesians, or yeah, Ephesians uh, 5, I'm in 3, hang on just a second. In Ephesians 5, he starts out by saying, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're talking about this connection with God and how we're made in His image. And so he gives particular instructions. It's like you're walking into the doctor's office, you're sick, and he says, we need you to, to, to look like this person, this individual, the, the picture of health. Now let me give you your prescription, right? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. So if the, if the attending were to sit there and tell you, you need to walk in love, oh, that sounds great. But how many of you have ever been given medical advice and they don't tell you exactly what to do with it? And you get kind of frustrated. But Paul doesn't do that. He says you need to walk in love, and then he goes and he gives a description. Remember Jesus. Go back and look at how he attended to people's souls. Look at how he attended to himself. I and the Father are what? One. I can do nothing in and of myself. I'm in dependency with God the Father. Oh, that our souls would live that way. And so there's a, there's a soul triage that's going on, and we'll get to that in a moment. But really, we're talking about uncluttering the soul. This is our first point today, uncluttering the soul. How do you do that? Well, Paul gives us some great instructions on this. And so, I, I've narrowed the field. Let's just talk to this, but, but we'll be all through Ephesians 5 over the next two weeks. Starting in verse 13, he says... Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful how you walk. It was somewhere recently, I, I think, I don't know if it was my wife and I, it's been happening a lot lately because we're trying to eat better. Um, didn't go so well for me. My partner was, was on vacation over the past two days. Went out for Indian food. That was healthy. It was great. But don't talk to me about the other three meals I ate. Um, they were Spanish, and they involved a drive-thru. <laughs> and uh, so I got a little off target. I got a little off target with this idea of, of walking in a manner worthy, right? Or, or not being foolish. And so the interesting thing about assessing the health 
and, and, and doing a diagnosis on our soul is that sometimes we say, well, I went to church. I went to Bible study, but you know what? But you did all these other things and you're giving your soul, you're feeding your soul these other things that are so unhealthy. You see, it requires an in-depth analysis. What did Jesus say to the disciples in Gethsemane? He didn't say, hey, Judas is going to betray me. That hurts my feelings. You guys are all going to run away. That hurts my feelings. Do you guys have any idea what's going to happen? Hey, it's kind of cold outside. Can someone light a fire? It's 3 a.m. in the morning. He said, my soul is sorrowful. He was diagnosing his soul in a moment of crisis. I think in order for us to unclutter the soul, we have to go into an observation mode. Remember, you're the doctor, you're the attending at John Muir, and it's time to do some assessment. So is your soul thriving or is it starving? Is it thriving or is it starving? So let's look at this real quickly. I'm going to move through this real quickly. So let's start with observation. How's your soul? Remember, we started with this question a while ago. And, and it's funny because I've asked multiple people this past week, and if you want to stop someone dead in their tracks and, and make them just stand there with a glazed-over look, ask them that question because we're never ready for it. But I'll tell you, if we ask this question more often, I think our souls would be healthier. And isn't that an indicator of the fact that we just spend so much time not attending to the soul? So if we're going to observe the health of our soul, we've got to strip it back. We've got to really look. Are we thriving? Or are we starving? Are we thriving or are we starving? So how do you do observation? Well, let's start with uh, the idea of a thermometer, right? So Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there will your what? There will your heart be also. How many of the things that you do throughout the week speak to a attending of your soul in a spiritual health manner. Brothers and sisters, if I just ate what I wanted to eat all the time, there would be no donuts left for you by the time you get here. Okay? We have to build the disciplines into our life. My wife made a... I walked in last night about 10.30, getting home from the office. My wife's made a broccoli souffle. And, you know, I walk through the door. I get about five steps in. I'm all... What is that? you know not because it doesn't smell good it's like i'm thinking health food broccoli in a souffle thing mm, you know but what is good for me that or the number five at the drive through down the street right you have to have discipline and so when we want to take a reading of where our heart is, where our soul is, get a spiritual thermometer out and build Scripture into your life so that you can observe the health of your soul. One of those ways is to look at this idea where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. There will your treasure be also. Are you thriving or starving? Psalm 107, 1-9 is a beautiful... I don't have time to go to it, but I'm referencing it. It's a beautiful picture of where the psalmist is speaking to the languishing of the soul and yet how God restores the soul. Talks about an emptiness and a longing and yet God comes in and He fulfills that in, in a way that nothing else can. 
Build those passages, build those truths into your life as a discipline and use them as a thermometer when you start asking those questions, what does my soul long for? What does your soul long for? That's a spiritual thermometer. When you want to observe what is the condition, spiritual health of my soul, start asking yourself these very important questions. And how do you respond? Look at stories like what we're talking about with Horatio Spafford and measure yourself against these stories of great success by these heroes of the faith. Ask yourself, how does my desire for, for all these other things I'm feeding my soul with, how does that measure up against the idea of pleasing God? Our original text today. Am I driven? Am I consumed with that question? Are my decisions there to please myself? To please my ego? Or are they there to please God? Our second point today is now you're into triage. Many of our souls are wounded. Many of our souls are wounded. What do you do with a wounded soul? How many of you know someone who has a wounded soul and they don't even know it? They don't even know it. Let's get some ideas here. This is an interactive time. You can speak boldly. Uh, how do you recognize a wounded soul? What would that look like? Depression. Bitterness. Loneliness. Anger. No. You know what's interesting? Is I'm going to throw up some more pictures of Spatford. It's fascinating you would say that, Lauren, because... All the pictures taken of individuals prior to I don't know when, nobody smiled in pictures. <laughs> nobody smiled. But today in our culture, yes. And yet there can be those people who suffer from depression that walk around with smiles on their faces. But yes, there is a, do the counter, someone with a healthy soul, you can tell. Why can you tell? What does a healthy soul look like? Yes. Smiling. What else? Somebody said joy? Peace. Real. Connected? Contentment. Light in their eyes. I have light in my eyes. It's really bad. Hopefully my soul is good. So what did you say over here? Relationship. Kindness. Love. How you see other people. What about endurance? Forgiveness. Thank you very much. That prompts me to move forward. Triage. Wounds. You know what's interesting is, have you ever had to clean out a wound? My wife and I had one of the most horrendous days in our life. One of the most horrendous days in our life. Uh, I was out mountain biking and um, had gotten to the top of this ridge and it was a fire road and maybe the last quarter of it had embedded rocks because the rain had kind of washed things away but the rocks were still there and so we got into the top and we were ready to ride down but I wanted to make an adjustment on my seat post because when you ride down you need a lower seat so I lowered my post a little bit my friend took off in front of me I start going and um, start heading down and hit a set of rocks that started to thrust me forward and so 
I hit the brakes a little bit, and uh, that, that was fine, but it, I ended up going back onto my bike, and as I went back, the seat post snapped. And because the seat post snapped, I fell back this way, which made me clutch the handlebars, which made me grab the brakes, which then I'm going in an opposite direction of what I just was doing. And I was thrown from the bike, and I, I had a speedometer. I was going about 28 miles an hour. And do you know what flesh does at 28 miles an hour across a ridge of rocks? And I have this beautiful picture of just the skin being ripped, right? And so weeks after that with, with um, you know, trying to have that taken care of and cared for, uh, there were some areas that weren't healing properly and I had to peel back the scab. Uh, that's really gross, isn't it? Just went all, ooh, you know, there's people, right? That's twice I've done that in the sermon. Just need to make sure that you're staying alive. I want you to picture that very visceral example of your soul. Because brothers and sisters, honestly, there are things that we have trapped or are trapped that we're not even paying attention to in our soul that we have no idea that those are holding us hostage. And we'll bring that up in Galatians 5 in just a moment. We have no idea that those things are holding us hostage. And it's going to require courage, which is another point coming up in a minute. It's going to require courage, but, but what does Jesus do in the moment where He's suffering, where His soul is so sorrowful? He goes to what? He goes to prayer. And by the way, in that prayer, He confesses, not because He has sin, but He confesses what? He didn't want to do it. Have you ever wrestled with the idea that Jesus, God Himself, for a moment, <coughs> said, Tag, you're it, I'm out. This I do not want. And so much so that there was so much sorrow even to the point of death before He would die? He was peeling back the scab. And one of the ways that he was able to deal with his soul, deal with the realities and the things that would be scary if we peel those things open and we say, what is really happening in there was confession to the one he trusted that he placed his faith in. Do we do that? Do we practice that? Brothers and sisters, in triage, you've got to assess what is really happening. What is really at stake in order that you might get that person back to health as fast as possible? You have to prioritize. Can I prioritize for you when it comes to doing triage on the soul? Start with confession. And that starts with this picture of prayer. And we borrowed straight from, from Jesus on that. Let's go to forgiveness. The idea of forgiveness was listed. I think one of the ways that, that we do that and we practice that, if I'm the doctor over the spiritual hearts and spiritual souls of individuals, we say we have to practice forgiveness. I want you to think of that one person that's caused you the most pain, the most disappointment in your life. For me, it was this guy named Daryl. He was six foot four. It was 1978. I was in fifth, fourth grade, fourth grade, third grade. I don't know. It was 1974. 
I was in, in fourth or third grade, and Daryl was like six foot four, and he had an afro out to here, right? So he looked like Bob Ross, just super skinny, and my mom was the teacher at the Christian school I went to, and he was in her class, and he didn't like my mom much, and my mom didn't like him much. So you know what Daryl's way was to get back at my mom? Was to follow me home on the bus as a high schooler and beat me up and trash me as a third grader. You know what? You think after 1974, my soul might hold something against that guy? What year are we in? Thank you. Can you tell me just to let it go? I need to let it go. I have let it go. And I had to forgive someone I could never have a conversation with. You know how I'm able to do that? By the way, that's laughable compared to what we're about to read. Uh, turn to Luke 23. Oops, I just messed up. Turn to Luke 23, and you're going to see something that's... It's the prescription in this effort for triage, right? It's, it's 50 milligrams of lidocaine stuck right into the heart. Okay? Luke 24, 34. I know what it says, but I want someone out here to say what it says. Chapter 23, verse 34. Sorry, verse 34. What's the context? Jesus is on the cross. And what does he say, David? If there's a more loving statement in all of Scripture, I don't know what it is. Now do you know why I say that the triage level for the soul, that this idea of forgiveness, how important it is, because the soul can harbor, somebody said it, bitterness, anger, whatever. Who loses in that? Our soul loses. And the prescription for that is forgiveness, and forgiveness is rooted in what? In love. Write that scripture down because it's your prescription. It's 50 cc's of lidocaine straight to the heart. I don't even know what lidocaine is. It's probably like a skin ointment and I just killed you. <laughs> the last point today is courage. And this is interesting. And it's taken from the Ephesians 5 passage. I associate this with the idea of submitting. Right? I remember all those like, what was it, ER? in the 90s, right? That TV series. Those guys should be fired, all of them. Because when you're, when you're coming in on the ambulance, what's the first thing they do? They jump on you. On the, on the gurney while you're rolling down, they jump on you. Who in the hospital does it? If I ever go to the hospital, I hope I'm conscious to say, the first person who, who jumps on me is going down. You're going to meet your maker. That is not how you practice medicine. Get off my chest, right? And so we do all these sensational things in the effort of triage. We have to have the courage to submit. Maybe that is required in order to save my life. And so have you seen the patient, and maybe you're one of them, that you go in and, and the doctor say, you need to take this shot? Ooh, no. No, I'm not taking the shot. Not doing the shot. Well, you need to submit to doing the shots if you want to recover properly. 
I'll just live with my illness. Thank you very much. Yet we do that spiritually all the time. Because we don't have the courage to peel back the scab in order to really attend to a cluttered soul. Next week we're going to talk about how to love the soul. We can't get to love the soul until we unclutter it, right? Taken from Jesus himself when he talks about the person who was demon-possessed. That you, you cast out that demon... And then it roams around the land and it can't find anywhere. And then Jesus says what? It comes back to the same house and finds it what? Finds it empty. Because you've not filled anything. So you do a certain sense of triage and you cast out that which is horrible. But if you don't fill it and fill it well and fill it properly, what happens? You end up worse than where you started. You end up worse than where you started. We have to have the courage. So Ephesians 5 1 through 15. Let me give you just a taste of this as we wrap up today. There's a beauty in this passage. <coughs> he starts out, and I think I've, I've already hinted at it, I maybe even quoted it. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. So he gives us great understanding of the premise of what he's trying to communicate. That we need to walk in love. This idea taking from forgiveness the idea that love will heal the soul, right? That we need to pull out the things that have nothing to do with love. Resentment, anger, bitterness. We need to do that triage. And the way to do it is to treat it with love. We treat it with forgiveness. We've got to have the courage to do that. And so now we have to do the courage to really deal with the things that are there when we peel it back and we find what's underneath. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be what? Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Amen? So the picture Paul paints here is you've got to have the courage to be honest with yourself. What is there? What is in your heart? Brothers and sisters, this is where we're really getting to the meat on the bone. Paul later talks about in this chapter about, actually it's, it's 1 Corinthians 11, about why we're weak, why we're sick, why we're not healthy. And he says, in essence, it's because you don't attend to your soul. It's because you've allowed these empty talkers to put stuff in here that corrupts. And because you're willing to live with it, you're opening yourself up to it. Brothers and sisters, before we can truly attend and give healthy things to the soul, we've got to clear out the old, right? I can eat that broccoli souffle tonight, and I probably will be. I don't know. Oh, I'm not? Oh. Hallelujah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying, honey, I'll make my own. Okay, I'll just gnaw on raw broccoli all night. Um, I can eat the broccoli souffle, but if I'm, if I'm tripping over for some, 
for some cinnamon crisp twisters right after that, I'm adding the bad on top of the good. But we want to do that spiritually to our soul, do we not? We have to have the courage to look and say we need to strip these things away through the power of God if we want our soul to be healthy. Be thorough, course correct, peel back the scab. Wow, that's all really good stuff. So part of the challenge that we have as well, and this is going to be a real quick point, is that we're malnourished. Our soul is malnourished. We haven't been feeding our soul. We've been feeding ourselves. We've been feeding our idolatry. <coughs> We've been feeding our agenda, our ego. We've been doing all those things, but we haven't been feeding our soul. And so I love this idea out of Daniel. It's not an idea. It's, it, it was a reality, right? And, and in Daniel 3, we have this miracle that happens where there's a hand that writes on a wall and inscribes uh, this phrase that, that has to be interpreted for the king. And the phrase comes out saying something, and I love the, I love the NASB version. Right? The NASB version says, you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found what? Deficient. Wanting is the other ones. Yes, well done. I love the interpretation deficient. Why? Let's go right back to the medical tool that we're using here how many of you gone and done blood work and they say you have a deficiency in your blood that's why you're 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 tripping all over the place and you're running into walls right you have a deficiency in your does your soul have a deficiency because it's what malnourished you need soul food you need some soul food right mm-hmm you need some, I'm, that's as far as I'm going with that, okay? <laughs> Y'all relax, just relax. You need some soul food. I remember uh, a certain individual in our family down in Los Angeles took us to a place where they would have lunch. And, and they're from the South. And so they took us to this place after, after some event downtown. They, they, they highly recommend, say, I eat there all the time. There's going to be hush puppies. There's going to be this, that, and the other. There's cornbread. It's going to be great. So we go, and it's kind of like this buffet, and it's this place, that, you know, you wouldn't even know it's a restaurant, and, and it is, I mean, it is soul food, right? And so we're loading up, and, and right as we get to a certain area, as we, as we move the, I don't know if it was the cornbread, or whether it was the, uh, the beans, or, or what it was, but as we, we took a, a spoonful, I don't know if it was Janine, or my, I think it was myself, because it had it been Janine, she just would have dropped on the ground and, and died right there. But as I moved it, something that looked like a bean started moving, and it was a cockroach. And I'm like, this is soul food. I mean, this is the way it is, right? We need soul food. Help me help you help me define what that is real quickly. Word of God. What else? Grace. What else? Heart. What else? Unity or community? Community. Stillness. Stillness. Prayer. Prayer. Confession. Trust. Let's go back to where all those are, are correct. Let's go back to where we started today because I want you to get concrete and galvanizing this. Faith. If we try to do all those things without faith, they'll be impotent. They'll be impotent. 
So, and that's what Paul's point is here in 1 Corinthians, is the Corinthian church was struggling in this area of what? Of observing communion. And he says, some of you are doing this and your souls are so misaligned. They are so unhealthy. And you do this as a mockery before the Lord. And because of that, what's going on? What's he say? That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. We don't know if he was speaking metaphorically, that their souls were so bad off that they couldn't feel anything spiritually anymore. So because of that, their behavior magnified what their soul was doing or the unhealthiness. So he says you have to course correct. Brothers and sisters, there's a great message here for us that before we can start loving and feeding the soul, we have got to do some triage and we've got to look and observe and use a, a spiritual thermometer and say, what is the condition of my soul? And even to begin to have that conversation, we have to start in faith. Do you want to know how you measure yourself as to a healthy soul? Let's finish today with the rest of the story of Horatio Spafford. So I've already told you two massive hits to the soul that Spafford suffered, didn't I? You probably didn't even know those pieces of information. What is more well-known is that they were, he was, they were friends with Dwight Moody. And Moody was a great, prolific preacher uh, at, <clears throat> at that time in Chicago. And he had traveled to England and was preaching for the summer in England. And so they were going to vacation and because of some business, he had to stay back, and he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead. And the story is that their steamer collided with um, another ship in the Atlantic, and Spafford received a telegram saying something to the effect from his wife, all lost, saved alone. And the four children... The four pictures that you see of those precious girls, gone. He would shortly follow, and he gave instructions to the captain of the ship on his way over, please stop at the closest location you can pinpoint as to where my daughters met their death. And it was at this point in the ocean of the mid-Atlantic where he took out this piece of paper and he penned the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Do you want to know how to measure your soul? First, you do it with the principles God gives you, the guidance God gives you. The things that you've mentioned that are fruits of the Spirit are those there or are they absent? Where is your treasure in earth? But another way to do it as well is to measure yourself against people who have the endurance to go on. What happened later in his life? They had another boy who passed away from scarlet fever. If you're counting, that's five children. Horatio Spafford eventually succumbed to malaria while in Jerusalem. Why was he in Jerusalem? Because he and his wife, in the joy of their life against all circumstances, left their church, left their life, left their world, and with 
13 other families started a hospice outreach on the eastern gates of Jerusalem called the American Colony. And they adopted a young Arab boy because their soul was well, even in the face of adversity. That's a hero. That's a hero because individuals like this are able to see God in the midst of tragedy and understand the circumstances of life and their soul is not permanently damaged because of the horrors of life. Let me finish in prayer, and then we've got some exciting things happening that we want to share with you. Father, this morning, as we continue in worship, I pray that each of us considers where is our soul, and that we have the courage to peel back the layers and do a a examination see where our treasure is see and measure the viability and the vivaciousness of our soul is it a soul that reflects the pattern of Christ and his love let us through the power of the Word of God and through the leading of Your Spirit, let us examine, let us observe, and then let us take the actions, whether it's through prayer, confession, forgiveness, courage, submission, whatever those things are, in order to get our soul healthy again. Let us grow weary of being weary that we might seek spiritual encouragement, uplifting, and healing within our soul. We praise you for these things. Amen.